Welcome to Riley on Film. I'm your host, Damian Riley. You can find out more and subscribe for free always at RileyOnFilm.com. Now, on with the show. You know what's cool about doing a podcast on movies is that you get to go into many different people's heads. You get to see what it's like to be a lot of different people from all walks of life. At the same time, I think when I review or uh, talk about on my podcast movies, some of them might get into some territory where people actually might wonder about me a little bit, and and I have a little bit of insecurity about that. Like if I'm doing serial killers and studying all about them and talking about how I really liked this kill or that kill, that could get, uh, I mean, possibly, you know, feasibly give me a bad reputation. So I just wanted to address that right now and kind of talk about that before I get into the movie Cam. Just because I review a movie and because I get into the characters and I try to understand what motivates them, even the dark characters, that doesn't mean that those things motivate me. There's something about looking at film that causes us to have kind of a catharsis, I think. And when we see someone doing a really risky, scary, dangerous job like a cam girl, we think for a moment, what would that be like? And would I do that? And it gives us a bit of excitement. Now Cam, yes, definitely does have some nudity here and there. Uh, It's not abject in your face uh, nudity, but it's there and it's there for the story I honestly feel like the story could have existed without it. I don't think it really needed it. Because I think a lot of people who go online seeking out those sites aren't necessarily looking for nudity. Sometimes they're just looking for someone to kind of pat them on the head, give them attention, make them feel important. You see this a lot when people are standing in lines around the corner at these adult movie conventions and they just want an autograph from an adult movie star they remind me kind of of puppy dogs getting their autograph but you see some of those in this film and it is definitely not a mainstream topic but I think that there are some connotations that definitely would parallel mainstream topics like YouTubers uh, that keep their clothes on and fan clubs and things and the like. I mean, we've been having fan clubs and fans of rock bands and fans of, of celebrities for centuries. So you can look at it from that point of view as well and get something out of it. But I thought it was a good movie and I chose to talk about it today because I think it is worth watching. But it is in a dark world and you just need to be prepared for that. You will see nudity, and you will hear discussion of the types of things that go on in a nude chat room. At the same time, there's another issue that comes up about identity theft. And that's something I think anybody, whether you're a 
cam girl or not, you have that fear of identity theft. So that comes into it as well. So as long as you look at it as entertainment as a movie, and it definitely is a thriller, exciting thriller, and not as entertainment as you're tuning into a cam, because it's not like that, and that's not the kind of movie it is. But I think some people will be prejudiced and think it's like that. Here's my thing. I like film as expression because it just shows everything about being a human being. It can make a straight person see what two gay people will do in a romance. When will you ever see that? Probably never. And vice versa. It can help you see what a certain race will do for fun. And that you didn't understand before. Like, you know, one example might be, you know, rap. There's movies out right now that sort of explain how certain rap songs came about and what their lyrics mean to a certain community of racial uh, equality. And that's awesome. Movies can do that. Movies can break down barriers. But if you're somebody that has a lot of barriers, it's probably no surprise that you're not a huge fan of movies. And that's just for the simple, plain reason that you're going to run out of movies to watch if you pigeonhole yourself into just watching romances, just watching documentaries, or just watching movies that have a white male in the lead role. Or, you know, if you if you just are turned off by anything other than what might be called mainstream, you're going to miss out on so many aspects of being a human being as portrayed in movies. So I'd encourage you to open up a little more. Uh, when you look at your Netflix, you're going to look at a lot more options that way. And then if you're like me, you move to Internet Movie Database. You do an advanced search there. You start to open up the parameters of what you want to watch. And you start watching everything and taking everything in. And something amazing starts to happen. You become a more well-rounded human being. And movies can do that for you. So... Now that I've said all that, let's look at nudity in Cam. No, just kidding. <laughs> I love this song. playing an old show or something i don't think that's possible we can't do that okay well does it say my channel live yes ma'am hey we have a new friend that person is not me she looks exactly like you weird who is she unexpected things happen to test us it isn't safe what is it i've watched enough to guess who it'll choose but I don't know what it is. You stole my face, and now I'm going to get it back. You stole my face, and now I'm going to get it back. Come on, let's 
It is there, though. Um, Cam is a 2018 American psychological horror film directed by Daniel Goldhaber and written by Issa Mazai. From a story by Goldhaber, Mazai, and Isabel Link-Levy. The story is partially drawn from writer Mazai's own experience working as a cam girl. The film is the first feature film for both Goldhaber and Mazai. That's so neat to know that it was made and written with someone who actually did it in mind. Because memoirs are some of the most powerful movies. When you see how something felt for an actual person. Like for example, if you if there was a movie about working in a restaurant, you'd see someone working in a restaurant. But if it was a movie by someone who worked in a restaurant, you're going to see after the clock, you know, when they're done working, they lounge around, they have a drink, they go to a friend's house. You're going to see all the real stuff that happens when you run a restaurant or when you work in a restaurant. And so the same is true of Cam. There's a lot of personal stuff here that you see of what it would be like to be a cam girl and what would motivate a cam girl to continue doing it so long. I found that stuff really interesting. It stars Madeline Brewer, Patch Dara, Melora Walters, Devin Druid, and Michael Dempsey. It's a co-production between Divide, Conquer, and Blumhouse Productions and Gunpowder and Sky. So every time I see gun, uh, Blumhouse... I think this is a horror, and it is. There is definitely some horror elements to it, but they come in later. The film premiered at the Fantasia International Film Festival on July 18, 2018, and was released on November 16, 2018 by... Da, 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 Netflix! Netflix is doing such a good job. They're getting really good movies. They're picking them up from like smaller venues and then buying them and i think that's amazing i'm glad they're using their money that way when i sit down to research a movie or if i'm just curious about it i almost always find these new netflix movies were featured at a festival and won some kind of award in this film you have uh, alice ackerman she works as a cam girl online broadcasting live Occasionally nude shows from a studio she's set up in her home under the name Lola Lola. So right here you see an example of something that people really couldn't do 20 years ago. The technology, the modems, uh, the way you dial up on the internet. It was just not fast enough to do this kind of, this kind of money. You had to know how to make a shopping cart. There was just a lot of it involved. And you find out she actually works for a mother company that does a lot of this stuff for her one thing it doesn't do is protect her she's obsessed with her rank on the campsite hoping to break into the top 50 and eventually be number one and you can imagine where it goes from there uh, she just continues to strive and strive and strive to get to number one to get to number one and she gets pretty obsessed with it actually and you kind of feel it with her it's almost a sport Meanwhile, her mother is unaware of her career, believing that she works in web development. In one show, Alice simulates suicide on camera by pretending to slit her throat, causing fake blood to pour from a prosthetic on her neck. And the way this is done is done so well as the viewer, it, it literally looks like she cut her neck. 
The fake suicide earns her large tips and increased popularity. She video chats with Barney, the site's owner, and tells her he will be in her area soon, suggesting that they meet while he is in town. When I heard that, that was my first red flag. No, no, don't be do, don't be consorting. We'll just call them Johns, for lack of a better term. Don't be consorting with the Johns. I think that would be pretty obvious. In her next show at home, Alice finally hits the top 50, but barely has a chance to celebrate before her rank starts dropping rapidly due to a rival cam girl, Princess X, promising to reveal more of her body if Lola drops 10 spots. Alice quickly logs off before her rank drops any further. Alice later goes to a commercial studio for cam girls to do a joint show with her friend and fellow cam girl, Fox. During the show, she is restrained on top of a vibrator, the intensity of which is controlled by the tips of the men watching. So here we get into a little bit of a maybe possibly technically offensive, say for kids that are maybe 13 and under, I'm not sure where to draw that line, but yeah, so there are some parts of the film that are a little... Soon Alice notices that Lola is currently streaming, even though she's not online. She contacts the site's customer service to see if they are playing an old show, but they assure her that playing old shows is impossible. And this, of course, is her doppelganger, I'm sure it's herself, playing this woman who is supposed to be her doing chat shows, but she's not recording. So that is quite interesting. This girl is so dedicated to her craft. She has a calendar that's all written up with what she's going to do at different dates and things like that. And she checks the calendar and she can't find any of these shows that are playing. I mean, imagine that, you know, it'd be like, like say, you know, a show of mine came on and I looked at, at the uh, car while I was driving and it said Damien Riley on... The Two of Us, or some movie that I have not seen. And I was talking about a movie that I had not seen. That would be creepy. And with her, it's in spades because it's not just audio, it's video. Alice is locked out of her account, so she logs in to a spare account to watch the show. The Lola on screen reads and responds to Alice's chats, proving that the show is indeed live. So she's responding to herself. The woman on the broadcast looks, sounds, and acts exactly like the real Alice. Alice's account is banned for attempting to warn the viewers of the doppelganger, so she creates a new one to watch and chat with her double. Quite crazy. At first she suspects Princess X is behind this, but Princess X assures Alice that she would have just deleted the account if she had access to Alice's password. She contacts the police, but they ask inappropriate questions and refuse to help. With no hope of getting back into her camming account, she watches and sees that a cam girl named Baby is advertising an upcoming live show with Lola, and Alice attempts to get in contact with Baby. Meanwhile, her younger brother Jordan's friends see a stream by the fake Lola while attending Jordan's birthday party, which they then show him. He gets into a fight with his friend, who called Alice a porn star, before confronting Alice in front of their mother and the other guests. Her secret exposed, Alex panics, and the Lola double, meanwhile, is staging increasingly elaborate shows with more effects like simulating suicide by gunshot, and this brings her rank up. There's the obvious lessons here. Don't 
push things beyond a certain line. Committing suicide just for credits on a site like that or just for money even. It's kind of like the equivalent of selling your soul. But we've moved into a new type of scare where we have this woman who is looks exactly like her and she's willing to do even more. So maybe this is to teach a lesson to Lola. And it just goes on from there. There's a lot of other stuff that happens. It's really cool. This has been a partial walkthrough. I'm going to stop there and encourage you if you're interested in this kind of material or really kind of almost like a Black Mirror episode. That's really what it reminds me then definitely see Cam. Jacob's Ladder is a 1990 American psychological horror film directed by Adrian Lin, produced by Alan Marshall, written by Bruce Joel Rubin, and starring Tim Robbins, Elizabeth Pena, and Danny Aiello. Jacob Singer goes to work. What's wrong? Uh, it's one of those days. And every day he wonders what is happening to him. Maybe it's the pressure, Jake. They're like demons, Jess. They were inhuman. What were they, Jake? Let me look at your hand. You have a very strange line. See, according to this, you're already dead. <laughs> scared, Jake. I've seen him too. Maybe the demons are real. He's running 106 feet. This is barbaric. I can get rid of the demons. Who are you? I can block the ladder. Where are you taking me? Where am I? Where do you want to go? Home. This is your home. You're dead. I'm not dead. What are you then? I'm alive. film's protagonist, Jacob, is a Vietnam veteran whose experiences prior to and during the war result in strange, fragmentary visions and bizarre hallucinations that continue to haunt him. As his ordeal worsens, Jacob desperately attempts to figure out the truth. Jacob's letter was made by Carol Co. Pictures ten, after, ten years after being written by Reuben. It drew from several inspirations for its story and its effects, including the short film An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge and the paintings of Francis Bacon. Though only moderately successful upon release, the film garnered a cult following, and its plot and special effects became a source of influence for various other works, such as the horror video game franchise Silent Hill. A remake, also titled Jacob's Ladder, is currently in production and planned for a 20... 2019 and i for one am excited to see this is a horror film and it definitely is a mystery uh it's a little bit like an acid trip stuff is just 
colorful and all over the place and haunting and scary and weird and nonsensical. But it always comes back uh, to the central place of the plot. And we find out that what's going on may not be what we think. It starts out like this. On October 6, 1971, an American combat medic, Jacob Singer, is with the 1st Air Cavalry Division, deployed in a village in Vietnam's Mekong Delta. When his close-knit unit comes under a sudden attack, uh, as many of Jacob's comrades are killed or wounded, others exhibit abnormal behavior with some suffering catatonia, convulsions, and seizures. Jacob flees into the jungle, only to be bayoneted by an unseen... So it's clear that something's going on here. His wound is definitely, appears to be a death wound. So that makes you kind of wonder, hmm, if Tim Robbins is the main character, then what's going to happen next if he's been killed already? And so that's a very interesting opening. And I think you start to learn about possible alternate realities. Jacob awakens in the New York City subway where an inexplicably locked subway station results in him almost being hit by a train. The year is 1975. He works as a postal clerk and he lives in a rundown apartment in Brooklyn with his girlfriend Jessie, Elizabeth Pena. Jacob misses his old family and experiences visions of them, especially the youngest of his sons, Gabe, who had died in an accident before. He is increasingly beset by disturbing experiences and apparitions, including glimpses of faceless, vibrating figures and narrowly escapes being run over by a pursuing car. At a party thrown by friends, he appears to witness an enormous creature penetrating Jesse before he collapses with a dangerous fever. First-person perspective, apparent flashbacks to his time in Vietnam show Jacob badly wounded being discovered by American soldiers before being evacuated under fire in a helicopter. Would you believe in all this, there's a cute little love story? There actually is. Elizabeth Pena, Tim Robbins, they're trying to work it out. They're just trying to make it. And she is doing everything for him. Now, I can relate with that because I have a wife that just will do everything for me. Sometimes I don't understand why, but she loves me and that's why she does it. And in turn, I try to do everything for her. Tim Robbins, you assume, off-camera, is probably doing a lot of things for her in her life. Otherwise, why would she be so dedicated to him? But he really doesn't. He just kind of stays in a sick bed. He's always nervous. He's always anxious. Uh, he keeps his doctor's appointments. He walks around and freaks out and sees all these hallucinations and visions. And poor Elizabeth Pena's character just kind of comes home to try and hold it all together. One of Jacob's former platoon mates, Paul, contacts him to reveal he is suffering from similar experiences, but is immediately killed when his car explodes. Commiserating after the funeral, other surviving members of the platoon confess that they have all been experiencing horrifying hallucinations, believing that they are suffering the effects of a military experience experiment performed on them without their knowledge or... They hire a lawyer to investigate, however the lawyer, and he's George Costanza from Seinfeld. However, the lawyer quits the case after reading military files documenting that the soldiers were never in combat and were discharged for psychological reasons. Jacob's comrades soon back down, while Jacob suspects they have been threatened. He is abducted by suited men who try to intimidate him. Jacob fights them and escapes and is injured but nearly paralyzed in the process. He's taken to a nightmarish hospital where he is told he's been killed and this is home. 
but his chiropractor friend, Lewis, comes to his rescue and heals him. The whole, whole thing just smacks of a dream. Like, you can't figure out what's dream and what's reality. His chiropractor friend busts into the hospital and helps him. That's a lot. So, this has been a partial walkthrough. I'm going to stop there and, and recommend it highly. I gave this a 10 out of 10. It's definitely worth watching. And there is that little romance going on with him and Elizabeth Pena. High Tension. It's a French uh, movie. It's actually called Hout Tension. Uh, I'm not sure how you would pronounce it exactly, but in the English pronunciation is High Tension. was released in the United Kingdom as Switchblade Romance. It's a 2003 French horror film directed by Alexandre Aja, or Aja. Stars Cécile de France, Maiwen, and Philippe Nahon. High Tension was picked up by independent distributor Lionsgate Entertainment following a successful screening at the Midnight Madness section of the 2003 Toronto International Film Festival. The film was originally rated NC-17 in the U.S. for strong graphic violence. However, Lionsgate re-edited the film to a secure R rating and redubbed the film in English. Then Lionsgate spent $14 million to open the film in wide release in the United States. However, the film eventually only grossed $3.6 million in the United States theatrically. Lionsgate later released the original cut, referred to as unrated version, on Blu-ray and DVD. All of the effects were created by renowned horror makeup artist Giannetto De Rossi, a favorite of late director Lucio Fulci. High Tension has been associated with the new French Extremity movie. I had this on my watch list for, I want to say, two or three years it just kept coming up, just kept coming up, and I just, every time that I found out it had subtitles, I decided to put it on the back burner. But it always was recommended as a slasher, and I just didn't really want, I, I usually like to multitask when I watch movies, which is probably my error and bad on me, but I just didn't have 
the patience to watch it in subtitles but recently I had the opportunity to do that and I watched it and boy I sure loved it. it's one of my favorite slashers ever the film begins with a woman wearing a hospital gown whispering to herself her back is revealed showing sutures from injuries all over her back the scene cuts to a woman who runs from something unknown to a road near a forest she stops a car screaming begging for help when her hand is revealed covered in blood from a wound on her stomach. This is revealed to be Mary's dream. She and Alex, her best friend, are on their way to stay at Alex's parents' house for the weekend to study. When they arrive, Alex gives Marie a tour of her house before they settle down for dinner. After dinner, Marie and Alex get ready to go to bed. As Alex sleeps, Marie lies on her bed listening to music and masturbating. Marie hears a doorbell ring and Alex's father wakes to answer it. The man at the door is a serial killer who slashes Alex's father's face with a straight razor. Alex's father's head is pressed between two spindles of the staircase. Then the killer shoves a bookcase toward the father's head, decapitating him. The noise awakes Alex's mother who finds her husband dead and is approached by the killer. Marie, hearing the mother's screams, quickly arranges the guest room to make it appear that no one is staying there and hides under her bed. The killer inspects Marie's room, but does not find her. Marie creeps downstairs and finds Alex chained in her bedroom. Promising to find help, she sneaks into the parents' room to find a phone. After hearing loud thuds, she hides in the closet, and through the slats of the door, it was so reminiscent of Halloween 1, witnesses the killing of Alex's mother as her throat is brutally slashed with a razor. Stop there for a moment... This is a really good slasher. I think among all the other slashers that we have in the canon of American movies, this one definitely stands up. And they set up the villain so well. And then when they're in pursuit of the villain, it all gets turned around. And all of a sudden the villain becomes the pursued. Now there is also a twist. I'm going to tell you there is a twist. So you'll have to wait and watch for that because I'm going to make this a partial walkthrough, uh, a partial introduction, walkthrough introduction if you want. And I'm not going to walk through the whole film. I'm just going to say that this one took me by surprise and it really definitely needs to go on more top 100 lists, maybe even top 20 lists of the best slashers of all time. So if you like slashers like I do, definitely go see High Tension. Well, that about wraps it up. Those are the three films that I wanted to share with you. I love movies so much. And what I've been doing lately is looking for horror, number one, but also looking for romance movies for my wife, trying to find some ones we haven't seen. And I've built up quite a large watch list just by bringing down the search criteria to IMDB score to be 6 or below. And by doing that, I got a lot more movies, and some of them actually look pretty fun. I think in horror and romance, sometimes they're just rated lower because they're specialty things, and people of all universal interests rate movies, and they might not like horror and romance as much, so you're going to see those have lower uh, user scores on Internet Movie Database. Uh, but... For for what I'm looking for, you just don't know where the movies are. So I do a search, an advanced search on Internet Movie Database, and I look for things from 2000 to 2018, 
and I put some criteria in there, and it's so exciting, the films that I have right now on my watch list. So I hope you'll stick with me in 2019 as I just continue to share about the films I'm seeing. I'm going to be doing more partial walkthroughs because I think that gives you a chance to not have the movie completely spoiled, but some movies I'll do full walkthroughs that I'm pretty sure a lot of people have seen, like the classic horrors and such. But basically that's going to be the format of the show, or partial walkthroughs, where I just take you through the plot, I read it off Wikipedia, and then I comment about it and tell you what I thought about it and give you a recommendation. Uh, finally, the last thing I want to let you know is, if you don't know already, this show is mostly accentuating films that I recommend. I'm not doing rants about bad movies. We, I don't really think that's really worth my time, uh... But uh, if if you ever want to hear a rant on something, you know, just drop me a line. Let me know. I'd be happy to try it. But it's not. It just hasn't proven to be what I really enjoy doing. I like rather to recommend the good stuff that's out there. So with that, happy New Year and happy 2019. Thank you for listening to Riley on Film. I'm your host, Damian Riley. You can find out more and subscribe always for free at RileyOnFilm.com. Now, have a great day.